Politics, Politics, and Life Sciences Radio, also known as PLS Radio, is a show about the interplay of life sciences and politics. PLS Radio is hosted by Dean L. Finelli, Ph.D., an intellectual property attorney in Washington, D.C., whose practice focuses on issues connected to the life sciences industry. PLS explores cutting-edge topics involving the biotech and pharma ecosystems, political and governmental policy issues affecting the biotech and pharma industries, and much more. PLS guests include scientists, business, medical professionals, media personalities, newsmakers, and political leaders. Politics and Life Sciences Radio is your place for hot topic discussions and real news in the life sciences industry. Now, it's time for Politics and Life Sciences Radio with your host, Dr. Dean L. Finelli. Good afternoon, this is Dean Finelli from Politics and Life Science Radio. Thank you for joining us today. I am excited to have as our guest today uh, Dr. Philip Buckler, uh, also known as the Unmasked Doctor. Uh, Philip is a dentist and uh, graduated uh, from Detroit Mercy School of Dentistry. We'll bring on uh, Dr. Buckler in a few minutes, but before we do so, let's catch up on what's going on in the COVID world. Uh, it looks like as Delta continues to uh, be the dominant uh, variant of concern in the U.S., uh, that the vaccines are holding up. Of course, uh, we know that they're not as good uh, against the Delta strain as they were uh, against the earlier strains. However, uh, they are very effective in keeping people out of the hospital and uh, preventing serious uh, symptoms related to the virus. So that's certainly good news. Uh, we're hearing a lot about uh, continuing uh, data that's coming out regarding uh, the effectiveness of the vaccines against the virus. And we're seeing a lot of anecdotal information as well, but we're trying to focus more on the facts here. Uh, factually, it looks like the Moderna vaccine is slightly better than the Pfizer mRNA vaccine. Uh, when it comes to uh, the immune response that it's generating. However, I uh, want to reinforce the fact that all of the vaccines, whether you're talking about Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, BioNTech, or Moderna, are very, the authorized vaccines and the approved Pfizer vaccine are very effective in keeping people out of the hospital. And we are continuing to see uh, an uptick in the number of vaccinations, I think, as Delta uh, became so contagious, a lot more people probably saw friends and family members getting sick, uh, and that was certainly a motivation. Uh, I would assume also we recently uh, learned that the uh, FDA has fully approved Pfizer and BioNTech's uh, mRNA vaccine, so that full approval uh, may have incentivized certain people that were a bit skeptical or hesitant uh, to go out and get vaccinated. Uh, at this point, uh, there are probably, it looks like, you know, we have about 70 or 80% of the country, of adults in the country that have gotten at least one shot. Uh, and we know the vaccines are not available at this time for children under 12 yet. With children going back to school, you know, their main protection uh, is our masks. And uh, that's why I'm excited to bring on our next guest. Uh, Dr. Philip Buckler, as I mentioned, Dr. Buckler is a dentist, but he's done extensive research on 
masks, the effects of masks, and uh, colloquial known as the unmasked doctor. So, uh, Dr. Buckler, thank you for joining us today. Yes, thank you for having me, Dean. Uh, so it's, it's really great to hear from you because, you know, a lot of we hear constantly, what's our way out of this? Vaccines, uh, if people don't get vaccines or for whatever reason can't get vaccines, you know, we constantly hear wear the mask. Um, now, I'd like to get your impression of that. Um, I think I don't want to come out and say you're against masks uh, unless that's the case. But what are your maybe you could just give us your feelings on masks and um, how you feel about the, their use or overuse? Well, um, I don't think it's putting words in my mouth to say that I'm against using masks at this point. I mean, I'm a general dentist, so I've spent the last 10 years earning my living by aerosolizing the contents of people's mouths into my face. So I do wear masks when I'm actually seeing patients because they are helpful for splatter. But um, when COVID hit and uh, I started hearing all these instructions to wear masks, I decided to go on a pretty extensive literature dig. And I have a couple of very helpful reference librarians who are willing to um, pull articles for me. And so what I did was I went to the references that the CDC was citing to support the use of masks, and I pulled all those up, and then I pulled the references of those references and the references cited by those references. So it was a pretty deep literature dive over the last hundred years, and the short answer is that for the, la the last hundred years of medical literature, the overwhelming balance is that masks are not effective in mitigating the spread of respiratory viruses, and that cloth masks could very well be making things worse, although not by a wide amount. So maybe you can expand on that a little bit because, you know, we're obviously we're constantly hearing, you know, wear your mask uh, for those people that aren't vaccinated. Um, is it is it masks in general? Um, because certainly I do agree with you to an extent. There are people out there that are using these gaiters or people out there that have these flappy masks that don't you know really seal the face. And I think, you know, most medical professionals would say they're absolutely worthless. But are you saying even the, you know, we've heard N95 masks are probably, you know, at the top tier of effectiveness. Are you saying even those uh, don't have a positive effect against respiratory viruses? Uh, yeah, that's actually my position at this point. And we get that evidence from a lot of studies, both in the operating room and outside of it. Uh, for example, a lot of the evidence that we get on masks comes uh, from surgical rooms. We, there's at least two or three studies that were done back in the 90s and early 2000s, uh, one done in Sweden, ironically, where they took, uh, over a period of about two years, they took the non-scrubbed surgical operating staff, unmasked them during a large number of surgeries, and then just looked at the post-operative infection rates for bacteria. And what they found was that there's no difference in the post-operative infection rates, the bacterial post-operative infection rates, for when members of the surgical teams are masked and when they're unmasked. And that's been a consistent finding uh, from Dr. Tunival. He was the one who did that study in 91. They, they've cultured um, airborne bacteria in the areas of uh, surgical wounds, uh, in the 1990s as well. That's another study by Dr. Tunival. Dr. Webster did a similar study in the early 2000s, and the uniform finding is that masks, don't even, even surgical masks, don't stop even bacteria, so there's no real reason to think that they would protect other people from viruses that are a fraction of that size. And that's the, that kind of counters the whole, you know, my mask protects you, your mask protects me argument. 
And then when you look at uh, more current research or research cited, say, by Dr. McIntyre in 2011, 2013, and 2015, uh, Dr. McIntyre did a series of studies in China and Vietnam comparing uh, the effects of, health, of masks on various lines of healthcare workers. And they essentially found no statistically significant difference between uh, surgical masks and non-surgical masks. That, that's interesting. Did they give a reason why they why they thought that was the case? I mean, because you know, even without doing any studies, it, my assumption would be you know you cover your mouth, you're protecting yourself. But it, it sounds like from some research that you've identified that that's not the case. Did they give details? Is it just that? Uh, yeah, well, it, it sounds- I guess let me ask. What is the reason? <laughs> well. And the jury's still out on that is the short answer. Um, it sounds intuitive, and it seems intuitive to a lot of people that covering your mouth uh, with a mask would make a difference, but that's just not what we observe uh, in real-world studies. I mean, I've I've pulled about 85 studies so far that provide direct evidence showing that masks are just not effective. Uh, mechanically, it doesn't seem to work out just because the pores in the mask can't filter out viruses, which are about 140 nanometers in diameter. I mean, even N95 masks, uh, when you look at uh, when you look at that particle size, uh, N95 masks just don't seem to have enough filtration efficacy to stop viruses. That's interesting. The the CDC and FDA were citing a study last year that, and I've said this myself, that when they did their study, masks were five times more effective in preventing uh, transmission of the virus than a person not having a mask. What do you think was the, you know, the justification for that? Or or did they do something wrong? Well, let's see if we can figure out exactly which study you're talking about. Uh, Do you have any more details about it? Do you remember the author's name by any chance? Uh, uh, I do not. I just remember seeing that they said people with masks, uh, you know, in an, in an enclosed environment, uh, were getting, uh, were not getting the the spread of the virus at a basically about a five time percentage. So I, I this was a CDC study. Right. I didn't actually pull the underlying uh, data where that came from, uh, or look at the data. But um, yeah, I just. Again, you know, going back to this, you know, notwithstanding the study, just what's the reasoning then for CDC and FDA just being so adamant about, you know, masks? We have our kids going back to school and there's you hear all these arguments in Florida and Texas about mask mandates. Uh, Why do you think the CDC, if there's this evidence out there that masks don't work, why has CDC and FDA been so adamant about having people wear masks? Well, honestly, I think the argument for masks is more psychological than empirical. But as far as the specific studies that the CDC cites, uh, I went through all 69 studies that the CDC cites in their Science of Masking to Control COVID publication and their uh, Cloth Masks to Control the Spread of COVID-19, which are kind of their two flagship publications. One was published in November of 2020, and then the other one was last updated in May of 2021. And to try to summarize the strength of the evidence kind of a for and against masks, what I did was I drew up a chart, kind of in a teeter-totter diagram, 
and each side of that teeter-totter was graded according to the level of evidence. You know, you've got modeling and estimated data near the fulcrum, weakest sort of evidence. You've got laboratory studies after that, stronger evidence, and then you've got observational studies. So I suspect that's probably uh, the one that you're thinking of that the CDC cited. Odds are it was either a laboratory or observational study because uh, the CDC doesn't actually have any randomized controlled trials saying that masks work. Uh, and they don't have any, well, they do have one meta-analysis of observational studies, but no meta-analysis of randomized controlled trials. And so they're kind of ignoring 18 to 21 other randomized controlled trials that concluded that masks don't work that have been done over the last 25 to 30 years. And I put all that research up at, uh, well, the freepeopleofthesouthwest.com was kind enough to host my diagram. So if you go to freepeopleofthesouthwest.com slash CDC versus evidence, uh, then you can actually zoom in on this diagram. And I have each of the studies cited by the CDC uh, cited in academic format kind of in blocks on this large poster-sized PDF. So um, I'm very interested to see which study you uh, you're referencing, I suspect it's probably a laboratory study, a mechanistic laboratory study, because when you really dig into the CDC studies on that, about 75% of them are either opinion mechanistic laboratory studies or weak observational studies. Um, for example, uh, where's a good comparison? Ah, uh, yes. So, for example, the CDC cites one study uh, that was done on about 15 states fr from April to May of 20. 21 or 2021, sorry, 2020, that uh, was published, which concluded that masks were effective in slowing the spread of COVID uh, over that less than two month period. But then when you take uh, a similar retrospective observational study like Guaguera et al., uh, that one covered all 50 states from June of 2020 to March of 2021, and they found no difference in terms of the spread of COVID rate between states that had heavy mask mandates, early implementation, or no mask mandates, or light or late implementation. There just wasn't any statistically significant difference, and that's in the retrospective observational study. So as far as why the CDC would still be pushing face masks, I mean, like I personally, I think it's more psychological at this point. I don't think the empirical evidence really backs it up, and I'd love to have a public debate with someone on that topic. Uh, but, I mean, behavior and belief have a mutually causal relationship, so one, and you can actually see this with face masks, it showed up in the exit poll of the Danish face mask study, where when they polled the participants, the group that wore uh, face masks for two months straight, even in the absence of strong social pressure or, um, or mandates, that group that wore face masks was 18% less likely to say we don't need to wear face masks than the group that didn't wear face masks. And so after a year or so of saying, hey, everyone needs to wear face masks, you're a bad person if you don't wear face masks, you don't care about other people, it's a sign that you don't care. Uh, and having all these people in white lab coats telling you that they work, even though a, a substantial number of people do disagree on that, uh, that on its own is sufficient to change a lot of people's opinions when they wouldn't have believed it otherwise. It's kind of a classic, tri uh, classic tripod of behavioral psychology. I mean, masks act as a foot in the door, their social modeling and self-labeling of helpfulness all rolled into one act. That's really interesting. So we obviously have kids going back to school. Uh, they've, some have started, some will be starting after Labor Day. So is this, is are the studies that you're citing across the board, adults and children, 
such that, you know, you think, would you say masks aren't really necessary for kids? I would say masks are absolutely not necessary for kids or for adults. Yeah, it's, it's just and, when, when you actually look at the balance of the evidence, it's overwhelmingly against the efficacy of face masks. So when you hear about, you know, these groups of people that are gathering and, you know, we've heard surges, we've heard these crowds and, you know, there's all these different phrases that people have to describe, uh, you know, surges from, that came about due to crowds. Do, what you're, I guess, mm-hmm. proposing is that, you know, these, even if these crowds were fully vaccinated, you know, that, that those surges would still occur. Oh, excuse me, not fully masked, um, fully masked. Fully masked, yeah. That, that is actually what I'm saying. <laughs> and you actually do kind of see that in some of the studies cited by the CDC. For example, they cited a campground study as evidence that was done in Georgia as evidence that masks are effective. And they just kind of seem to ignore the fact that the only group that was mandated to wear masks, the counselors, had the highest contraction rate of COVID of all the subpopulations in the camp. And they ascribed that to the increased exposure of the counselors, as the counselors were there for a longer duration than the campers. And that's one possibility, but the data is also consistent with masks not working or cloth masks being an issue, which is consistent with the McIntyre study that you see from Vietnam in 2015, which the CDC actually tried to address in their uh, publication on cloth masks to control the spread of COVID-19. And they argued that uh, when you really dissect the McIntyre study, uh, they went back and looked at retrospective data, and they saw that when the cloth masks were laundered in a hospital setting, the cloth masks' uh, respiratory viral infection, that particular control group, uh, had the same respiratory viral infection rate as the people that wore surgical masks, as opposed to the worst one that McIntyre found when the healthcare workers were washing their masks every day. Uh, but that just kind of goes to show that it, it's not it's not practical to use that in the population because the population is not laundering their cloth masks every day in a hospital grade laundry, and the, and we have other uh, studies showing that the filtration efficacy of cloth masks declines substantially with each washing. Well, there's at least one that was done prior to 2020 that suggested that cloth masks lose about five percent of their filtration efficacy per washing which wasn't that great to begin with. And it just adds another surface for bacteria and viruses to kind of hang on to. Understood. This is Dean Finale with Politics and Life Science Radio. We're talking with Dr. Philip Buckler. So, Dr. Buckler, is there a, a situation uh, where you would say, okay, notwithstanding everything we just talked about, this is the one situation where I would say a mask would work? Or is there just, at this point, in your opinion, just no no need for masks whatsoever? I would say there's no need for masks whatsoever unless you're doing a medical procedure that involves splashing blood and bodily fluids. So for the ordinary citizen, you know, going into a store, going into an elevator, kids going back to school, we should all, basically, we don't need masks. Yeah, that's basically it. And there are substantial well, moral and psychological arguments against mandating masks. And would you, you know, as a parent, you know, we want to protect our kids as much as possible. So I think, you know, I I understand where you're coming from. You know, if someone says, you know, you need to do this to protect your kid, I think probably most parents are going to just reflexively do it just because 
you know, no one wants to be that parent that says, you know, I'm not going to do it. And then something happens to their kids. So uh, I can certainly understand your, your point that there's a psychological, you know, aspect of this as well. Yeah. So, and, and I totally understand that. I mean, I have a two-year-old son and I want to <laughs> take care of him and keep him safe, but I would, I would be very much against masking him. In fact, I'm actually going out of my way uh, while, while moving my house right now to avoid having my son masked. I'd rather drive 21 to 42 hours in the car than have him masked on an airplane. That's interesting. So, as far as vaccines go, do you uh, are you a proponent of having people vaccinated? I'm generally pro-vaccine, but I'm even more pro-informed consent and person's bodily autonomy. And I do have concerns about this particular vaccine. But even even apart from that, uh, my argument would be well, I would I would say that forced vaccination creates a bad legal precedent, essentially. Uh, it was, what was it? The, I mean, you're a lawyer, so you probably, you probably heard about this case in law school, the Buck v. Bell decision, where Oliver Wendell Holmes said the principle that sustains compulsory vaccination is sufficient to cover cutting the fallopian tubes, and that decision resulted in the forced sterilization of tens of thousands of American women, especially poor and minorities, and it's not a slippery slope argument if it's or it's not a fallacy if it's already happened. So I'm I'm very much against mandated vaccinations. But overall, you would, in your opinion, though, you would say you agree with generally vaccinating people. Um, in general, I think vaccines are a positive risk trade-off, but. That depends very much on the individual, so a one-size-fits-all solution is not the way to go. So, for example, with the COVID vaccine, I would say for elderly, the risk trade-off is probably beneficial. Uh, for young people, it's a, it's a terrible risk trade-off. I'm very much against uh, young people, especially young men and children, being forced to get the vaccine. And I personally have not gotten it yet because, I'm, on principle, I don't want to lend credence to any sort of coerced vaccination. But... Like my wife's gotten it, and she did that uh, to kind of use herself as a test case for her parents. So it's it's something that people with good conscience can fall on either side of the spectrum on. Great information, Dr. Buckler. Thank you so much for joining us today. That was Dr. Philip Buckler on Politics and Life Science Radio, giving, him, giving us his perspectives on masks and the vaccine. Uh, appreciate him joining us today. And thank you all for your time and attention. And we'll look forward to another exciting conversation next week. Thank you for hosting me, Dean. It was a pleasure. Oh, it was my pleasure, Dr. Buckles. Thank you so much for joining us. That was really interesting because, you know, I think you bring up a lot of good points. I mean, I think most people, like I said, just assume, you know, you cover your face, you're going to be protected. It kind of has that kind of, you know, logical make sense to do type mm-hmm. of analysis, but uh, I appreciate the fact that you've cited all these different studies that show that, you know, masks may not have the effect that people think that they're having. Thank you for listening to Politics and Life Sciences Radio with Dr. Dean L. Finelli. For more information, check us out at facebook.com slash politics and life sciences. 